Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's French Open Finals catch-up. Rafa Nadal takes home his 14th Roland Garros title. Igor Sviantec makes it 35 wins on the trot. And Caroline Garcia is back to slam winning ways. Kim, today is the 5th of June and we are here to catch up on all the finals action at the French Open at Passing Shot HQ. We now know our male and female singles champions at Roland Garros, Iga Sviantec and Rafael Nadal. The finals may not have been the most compelling and arguably some of the fans may have felt a bit shortchanged by the competitiveness of the finals. But at the same time, it feels like two of the favourites in the men's and women's competitions, went in and they've come out as champions. Yeah, the finals certainly were quite underwhelming, you know, in terms of competitiveness. Mm. I'm sure a lot of neutrals wanted to see a lot more from both the men's and women's singles finals, but both champions absolutely deserving of their victories. Uh, for, you know, they've come through the tournament slightly different ways, obviously slightly different contexts, but both making and breaking records and absolutely, you know, at the top of their game uh, at home on this court, you know, on this surface and both very deserving champions. And well, I have to say, Joel, I've got the champagne out to celebrate <laughs> Rafa's victory. You know, I'm, I'm rather in, well, I'm, I'm rather partial. I'm not impartial, obviously. Uh, but yeah, the, the bubbly is out. <laughs> I've got the orange cross, Kim, for Igor's field text victory. Uh, couldn't stretch, uh, couldn't stretch the champagne in my household, but yeah, I've got the, the bottle of orange squash uh, by my side. But um, yeah, it's been you know, a great, obviously, few weeks for Nadal and for Igor Sviantec. We're going to be dissecting both of those finals as well, as well as getting into the doubles, the wheelchair tournaments, and also unveiling our collect a set winner, plus previewing the grass court season, which is already coming up starting tomorrow on the ATP and WTA tours. But there is obviously one place we have to start it is with the action from today, the men's final, Rafael Nadal versus Casper Ruud. Nadal coming through 6-3, love. He, I mean, he was an absolute freight train, wasn't he, in you know the second and third sets. You know, there was a little bit of adversity there. He was 3-1 down in that second set. And we thought there was a, a wobble and you sort of wondered if, if Ruud was going to kind of wrestle back the the initiative and, and steal that second set. But Nadal had absolutely other ideas and steamrolled 11 games on the trot. And he's now won his 14th French Open, 22nd Grand Slam title overall. And to me, the most incredible stat is the fact that he has now won the same number of French Opens as Pete Sampras has won Grand Slams in his entire career. 14. So as much as, you know, I want to say Rafael Nadal is amazing, the fact that he's just won this, it's 
made him even more of a legend. I know. I think um, that I remember like years back when, you know, Roger was trying to equal like Pete Sampras' record of 14. It just seemed such an achievement, like 14 Grand Slams. That's insane. Like when we both, you know, started getting into tennis, that was like the, the peak that you had to like reach and equal and overcome. And then obviously, gradually, we've had three players surpass it and, and now for Rafa to just do that at one tournament, it's, you know, like you said, cemented his status as a legend on this surface, on this court, at this tournament, even more than it already was. Uh, I'm a big fan of even numbers, so I'm quite pleased 13 has become 14, not going to lie. Um, I'm quite like Superstition weird as well. with the yeah. details there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the match itself today, I think it... No offence to Kasper Ruud. I think it went fairly predictably. I I wasn't really, you know, I was worried that Rafa's foot and physicality would be kind of the main thing that would influence uh, his likelihood of winning today, to be fair, rather than Kasper Ruud really bringing it to the table. Um, what we saw from Ruud, you know, a bit, bit nervy, like as I'm sure you can imagine, bit too many unforced errors. And, you know, he had that slight momentum in the second set, you know, breaking to go 3-1 up. But, as soon as Rafa broke back immediately, you know, held with a love game, you know, snatched that set, five games on the trot, you know, you kind of did feel it was inevitable that he was going to run away with the third. And, and that's exactly what happened. It was, it was a bagel in the last set and Rafa just sailed away with it. And there was not really much Rude could do uh, in that last set. Yeah, it was interesting to hear Rude post-match talk about the fact that it was his first Grand Slam. And although he's been playing some great tennis, particularly on the on the clay courts over the last few weeks, it's a completely new environment for him to be stepping into. And when you've got someone as formidable as Nadal across the net, someone that you've idolised and, you know, modelled your game on growing up, um, it can be feel, you know, it can feel really, really daunting. And he said, when you're playing defensive against Rafa on clay, he will eat you alive. And I think Rude in that first set to me, he wasn't attacking enough. I think he showed a little bit too much respect to Nadal. And, you know, the times when he was trying to kind of force the conversation and put Nadal on the back foot, he was just going for it a bit too much. And as a result, I think we saw a few too many, as you said, unforced errors. There were particularly, I think, from the, the baseline, he was hitting a lot of forehands that went long. And it just felt that he was trying to put a little bit too much work on it, a little bit too much power. And it wasn't quite coming off for him. And um, I think the other factor as well is, you know, this was a day match. We didn't have the the roof like we had um, in, in the semi-final. And I think for, for Rude, you know, he had, again, had to take time, I think, in order to adjust to that high bouncing ball that we associate so well with, uh, you know, Nadal. And I think he was really struggling with it on his double-handed backhand side to stay competitive in the point. And I think, you know, Nadal was particularly targeting that that side of his and um throughout the match it just really told on on rude that he didn't really have a you know an answer to it and although he had kind of flashes of of brilliance at, at some points he just wasn't able to maintain it throughout the whole match yeah i think he was looking towards his box kind of at the end of that second set thinking what else can i do <laughs> those were so telling weren't they they were kind of it was kind of like oh my god i'm facing rafa in a final on french open on chatrier who is this person across the net from me? I don't think he was even expecting the level you know, he brought out today or, or, or facing him for the first time because there was some serious look of concerns, weren't there, when he was looking up in, uh, into the gods of Chatrier at his box to be like, what, what, what do I do with this player across the net from me? Well, there's no shame in, in that because he's been one of very many players who have experienced that kind of 
bewilderment and confusion. Like, and he's had the full Rafa on Chatrier experience. And I mean, one thing I I had thought that rain was forecast, so I was expecting this to be played under the roof. But obviously, that didn't come to fruition. It was it was dry, you know, which I think obviously did favour Rafa as well. But yeah, I think Casper Rudini first Grand Slam final. You know, he didn't do terribly. I think you know, there's certainly he's 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 you know still so young. This was perhaps an unexpected result, him getting to this, this stage. You know, we were kind of expecting, you know, the likes of Sitsipas to be in, in the final. So I think he's done remarkably well this tournament. I think he certainly maximised his his potential here. And, you know, I think he's I, I, he had a lovely speech at the end, very complimentary. We know how much of a fan he is of Rafa. So hopefully he takes the good things from this experience. And, you know, he's had... um like like he said you know prior to the match it there's not many people who have fallen this this short and if you're going to fall short it, it's it's to the the king of clay you know it's to to the slam leading uh you know person in in tennis so it, there's absolutely no shame in that um but yeah obviously Rafa coming home with the title as as many predicted once he got through that that quarter with with Djokovic you know earlier in the week and to be fair to you know Kasper Ruud he was in that land of opportunity in the the bottom half of the draw and he was the one to make the most of it you know we were talking about Sissipas we were talking about Medvedev uh you know and and it was really kind of you know we weren't really talking about I feel like about Kasper Ruud and um you know he just got his head down focused one match at a time and he was the one that ultimately kind of prospered from you know that bottom half getting to a final but you know when he came up against someone like you know Rafa who's obviously such a juggernaut on, on clay and 14 finals, 14th time a winner here. Um, yeah, unfortunately, he just did not. He was just not ready to do battle, I think, with him, you know, given the lack of, um, you know, experience um, you know, he's, he's had at this stage. You know, he will get those experiences certainly throughout his, his career. I see him as a, a player who can get to multiple Grand Slam finals. And you do think that, you know, with these players that are, they are legends, but, you know, there are weaknesses there. And, and you know, we'll get on to kind of Rafa and his, his body in a bit. But you, know, you certainly think as those start to come into their career a bit more, they're already coming into, for example, Rafa's career, that's going to present opportunities. And I think for, for Kasper Ruud, when he can look towards the clay season, you know, next season and think back to, you know, this time and the fact that he played so well at, at Roland Garros, got to a Grand Slam final, it's going to give him loads of confidence, I think, going forward that he can he can get those matchups with the the very, very best. And although it didn't work out for him today, I think when he goes back to the tour, he'll take a lot of heart from getting to, you know, where he was expected to get to and putting up as much of a fight he's did because it's not easy when you've got Rafa and what feels like everyone in the world against you, and you're like the nice, you're one of the known as one of the kind of the nicest guys on tour, and you're in this sort of uncomfortable position. But I certainly think he he certainly contributed a lot. Maybe not necessarily as much in the final as he would have hoped, but I think throughout the two weeks of the the whole tournament. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, let's talk about Rafa and his body because a lot of emphasis on the foot at the moment. We know it's a chronic and serious problem. It, it does affect his daily life, the pain that he has. You know, it's it's very difficult. And basically, Rafa came out after the tournament, as he said he would, to say that the reason he's been able to play this last fortnight is the fact that he's been having injections to into the nerve to essentially anaesthetise the foot so he can't feel anything. Um, which isn't a sustainable solution. I think he's come out to say that he doesn't want to be having any more injections going forward. So he's going to, you know, have a 
an assessment, some treatment perhaps to see what the options are, whether surgery or, you know, because I don't think these injections are, yeah, like a long-term solution. You know, he had said actually after the Mute match in, in the second round that he was in, you know, so much pain that he, he just couldn't really walk, uh, which is just awful. So the fact that he's been able to win this tournament, I mean, all credit to his doctor. What an amazing person to provide that amount of help to allow Rafa to play and yeah. to perform at this level. I mean, it's just I would amazing. be asking for a percentage of his prize money if I was the doctor. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they've got an arrangement figured out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's a, so there's a lot of chat around, you know, what's next. Um, obviously, Rafa in his speech said that he's going to do what he can to fight to be here again, which is, you know, great positive chat. Um, I don't think he's going to, give up but it may come to that you know if it's affecting his daily life so much we, you know we saw with Andy Murray the the hip you know it was just impacting everything he couldn't you know tie his shoelaces without pain so he had to make that decision to have the resurfacing so whether it, it it's a similar situation that will come to it we don't know but I mean my god I remember years ago watching Rafa and obviously all the issues of the knees and commentators saying oh you know Rafa's going to be finished by the time he's 30 so at age 36 despite this you know awful injury that he's managing to be able to do what he's doing like we have to take that with you know so much gratitude because not everyone would have been able to make it here um so we'll have to see what he does like after this this tournament now will he play Wimbledon will he play the grass personally I think it's unlikely that he will I feel that you know he hasn't played on grass in the last three three years often we see him missing the grass courts because of you know all the pressures on his body at, at Roland Garros and the clay season and everything so I'm not sure but a lot of people are saying well you know he's won the first two slams of the season why not have a crack and see if you can keep going who knows certainly uh a conundrum I think that he you know is obviously going to be facing you know in, in, in the coming week or so in terms of what his you know what it looks like particularly you know in the context of his foot you know he's he's spoken about the fact that you know he'd rather have his foot right than winning another you know Roland Garros title and actually the, maybe the question we should have been asking is you know would you want your foot right or would you like a cracker a career grand slam because that is the opportunity that presents him uh you know right now and you know looking ahead to Wimbledon it is quite interesting in the sense of yes Novak Djokovic will be there but at the moment, Daniel Medvedev won't be there. It's very unlikely we'll see, I think, Sasha Zverev there, given uh, you know the extent of, of his injury. He has come out and said he has torn several lateral ligaments in his right foot. So it'll be amazing, I think, if we see him there, at least even just, just playing, really. So he could be the, the second seed. And, you know, with that position, <laughs> fortunately, with Novak on the other side of the, you know, of the draw, there could be a real opportunity there. Federer obviously not there as well. Berrettini's been, you know, been injured. And, you know, you've got other players like Alcaraz, unproven still on, on the grass at the moment. So I feel like there's a big opportunity there for Nadal, even though, yes, he hasn't played it for a few years. And I think there will be draws he has been in, I think, previously that have been more competitive, arguably, than I think the one in, in 2022 will be. And that might just entice him a bit more, but I think it's going to have to rest on 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 how he approaches it with his foot. You know, you said that it's unsustainable having these injections. And I think, you know, just hearing about them, you know, we don't want that to happen. It sounds like he's just been playing with a, you know, a dead leg essentially for the the whole tournament. And when you whenever you talk about kind of nerves and injections, you don't feel like that's a, a very 
like long-term approach that you can apply and I think at the point in this career it's all about maximizing kind of what you have left and whether that can be done through treatment and, and managing the situation or like an Andy Murray having to go away and have surgery um, in order to as I said prolong uh, your existence on the you know the ATP circuit I think that's going to be the you know the the ultimatum he's going to kind of have to face over the next couple of weeks so you know it's not obviously a, a done deal but the unexpected I think situation of having a career slam in the offing given going back to the start of the season you know he was on crutches you know, going into you know, the Australian Open, this unexpected situation that we're halfway through the season and he's won two of the two Grand Slams. It feels like it should tempt him enough, I think, to make as much of a, a possibility of Wimbledon becoming a, re- a reality, I would think. Yeah, he's never been in this situation having won the first two slams. Mm. You know, when he won the AO back in 2009, that was then the awful year when he lost to Robin Sodling at at the French Mm. Open. So he hasn't ever been in this actual situation. You know, Novak has, I think, before, obviously. But but I, I don't know if Rafa's necessarily thinking how likely that would be, you know, calendar slam. I think he'll be focused on what's right for for him and the foot. Um, but the fact that he's essentially won the French Open on one foot is like, you know, pretty... What does that say? I, I don't know. He's done amazingly well to kind of come through the pain and obviously the help of his doctor. So um, it, it's just like he's, you know, he's obviously surged ahead to 22 slams now. You know, Djokovic has got to win the next two this year to, to equal that. And uh, I mean, I think that's fairly likely that Djokovic will will potentially do that. I don't see why he wouldn't be the favourite still for for the for Wimbledon for sure at least. But um yeah, it's I mean as a Rafa fan, I, I did not expect him to win the first two slams of this year. So I'm absolutely chuffed that uh, you know, we we are where we are and I obviously we'll have to see about the foot, but you know, we want him to be happy and well first and foremost. Um what do you think about Novak Djokovic? Because I think, you know, a few seasons ago we were all kind of thinking when they were all kind of level pegging at the end of last season, 2020-20, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, we were all, I think, expecting Djokovic to kind of go go out into the lead and arguably off into the sunset and not not be kind of uh, and left sort of untouched. But the fact that you know Nadal has now got two on the bounce is now on 22, Djokovic on on 20. Do you think that adds extra pressure for for Djokovic in terms of? you know, this all-time debate? Because I think before we were looking at this sort of split between the the big three, Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, in terms of there was no way to split them. You know, they they had all the same number of Grand Slams. But the fact that Rafa has now added two more, does that strengthen his case for the the GOAT debate? Because, you know, he's now out in front. And, you know, will Djokovic be feeling that pressure going forward into the rest of the season? Yeah, I don't know how this will make Novak feel in terms of pressure. I think there was that expectation that if anyone, like he would be the first person to to extend into the lead. Mm. But obviously we had that hoo-ha down under with the vaccine. And then uh, maybe the fact that Novak had a delayed start to the season meant he wasn't as fresh here. You know, Rafa just got the better, better of him in the quarterfinals. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think one thing is pretty much certain is I doubt Federer is going to win any more slams you know he's 41 this year I think he's returning in October so he won't be playing any more slams this year hasn't played any for well since last year Wimbledon I think 
So I think he will stay on 20 and it will just be, you know, I kind of still expect Novak to finish with the most because he's a year younger, doesn't have sort of this chronic problem like Rafa does in terms of his body. So that's kind of, I think, massively in his favour. But I don't know, we should just enjoy, I think, the fact that like what we have at the moment is, you know, for, for Rafa and Rafa fans, I'm not going to worry about, oh, how many slams will Novak end his career on? Like, I'm just going to appreciate what's happened today, which is, you know, the fact that Rafa's won his 14th French Open. So <laughs> just looking at it kind of objectively, you know, you alluded to the fact that, you know, he's effectively won it <laughs> with uh, a anaesthetized leg, um, you know, throughout the, the tournament. If you're looking at this at kind of like the, you know, on, in the context of like the, the the ATP tour and all the you know all the players on there at the moment what does it say that a 36 year old oldest french open champion has effectively won it on on one leg would you read too much into that or do you just think that that just shows kind of nadal's greatness or do you think there is still like this this was an oppo- this felt like an opportunity for a new player to kind of make their name you know nadal and djokovic are in the same quarter they knocked seven bells out of each other in, in a four-hour match. Nadal had already come through Felix Ojeda-Aliassime in, in five sets. Will the the rest of the locker room think this was a big opportunity here for someone to win a, a French Open, which you know, has not <laughs> obviously been the case for a, a decade plus now? But the fact that you know we did know that Nadal had issues, you know, post Rome on the clay, and he was in Djokovic's quarter. Do you think players like you know, Sissipas, Zverev, Medvedev going into the tournament, they they would have felt like surely that there there was a real opportunity here, more so arguably than a few years before. Yeah, I think um I think it's I mean if looking at the draw before this tournament, like even for Rafa, you know, we'd have said, Oh, he's got Novak and Alcaraz in his section, that's gonna be really incredibly difficult. Mm. But just goes to show Rafa coming through despite this foot problem and the, you know, um, the the loss of feeling in, in the leg or in the, or in the foot rather, you know, the, the mental strength to be able to just focus on the match at hand and not think about, oh, you know, all the sort of what ifs, what am I, what's my career future holding? Um, that that obviously shows incredible talent and we, we know how mentally strong he is. Um, as for everyone else, I think just goes to show their inconsistency at, at slams, you know, although... You know, Sitsipas got to the final last year. He obviously fell by the wayside here. You know, they they can throw in a bad match and maybe not always get over the hurdle like Rafa and Novak are more inclined to do, even when they're not playing so good. They generally tend to come through. And that is kind of what has separated and elevated them from from the rest, I suppose. Um, obviously, fully aware that Rafa was very lucky against Verev in the semi-finals as well. We shouldn't forget that. You know, that was a incredibly tough match. Could have gone completely differently had that awful accident not happened. So, obviously, not forgetting that. I mean, even if he had won that match in three sets or four sets or five sets, it could have taken a lot more energy out of him than you know than it did given that we you know ended with with one complete set one incomplete set so yeah there's definitely I think that there is an element of fortune there but I don't think it was that you know the overriding factor you know he's been playing great tennis throughout the week and it's amazing I think that before you know it was just kind of you know we've seen you know him win the French Open and it's been on on talent alone and yes that that talent is still there at 36 years old but Doing that whilst I think managing your body and kind of the limits that your your body is reaching now, adding that into the mix adds a different I think 
complication obviously to to it and it makes i think these these victories you know even more special and you know should be heralded given doing this at, at you know 36 years old when your opponent across the net is is 23 years old it makes it even more i think special in terms of coming through and being the champion yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, as as I've said, I don't think we can reiterate enough, um, you know, how how different Rafa and Djokovic have been. I mean, you know, this is greatness. It, you know, we've, we've witnessed such greatness over the course of their careers. And, you know, everyone else in any other time period would have won and achieved so much more. But, you know, and also Federer back in the day, like not forgetting him. It's just, you know, n- another level kind of, work ethic and talent and you know just their kind of dedication and and the mental strength I think especially is what sets them apart and having that ability during a match to change it up and to figure out what they need to do to overcome someone who might be playing lights out tennis so yeah I think um there'll be plenty of time for the other guys to win a few years from now but until then you know depending on what's going on with the foot and Djokovic and everything it's can't see it changing too soon were you, um, were you not ever Rafa, nervous gonna be <laughs> were you were you were you kind of nervous about you know the the ceremony afterwards because you know there were rumors on on twitter circulating about oh this was gonna be Rafa's last match he was gonna announce his retirement and I know the Rafa camp came out and and said this you know these are complete lies this is false but I do felt like there was a genuine tension in the air during that ceremony about like what is what is Rafa going to say? Because I think with some of these ceremonies, it's normally just been thank you to my team, thank you to my opponent, collect the trophy, go off. But I genuinely felt here that everyone was sort of waiting on, on what Rafa was going to say in relation to the future, given you know, given the foot, given the downbeat you know answer to some of his you know answer to some of the, the questions he's been faced with over the last couple of weeks. Do we ever sort of nervous about kind of? what he was going to say, whether there was going to be some sort of bombshell about potentially retiring. Because in my head, like there could arguably be no better time to retire than on the out on the top. And it's something that I think rarely any kind of sports star is is afforded. And it, it was sort of playing in my head about kind of what is he gonna say? Is it is he gonna do a shock announcement? But it, it didn't come, but were you were you wary of that? Yeah, you were saying, oh, that you think uh, Rafa's going to retire. And I, oh, I, can, I woke up. I honestly woke up with a weird feeling, like a tingly feeling today that there was something funny was going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it would have been as brash as that. I think obviously Rafa needs to get um, the mm. treatment and, and the opinion of the doctors. I, I would not have said he, you know, I don't think that's in his character to, to quit so easily. So, yeah, I was... Um, I think you might have misjudged that one, uh, Joel. But like, obviously, <laughs> touch wood. I hope Rafa's not going to announce anything along those lines anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I'm glad glad what you were thinking and, and what people were, you know, the rumours were going around. Glad that that didn't happen. And he just, you know, said that he was going to do his best to, to see come back to, you know, his favourite and most successful tournament. So yeah, on that note, let's uh, take a quick break now. But do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look back at the women's final and Iga Svantec coming out triumphant. So do not go anywhere.
Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the women's final uh, before we pre, uh, round up all the other sort of final action as well. Uh, so women's final, again, quite one-sided, just like the men's final. Top seed, Iga Sriontek, uh, tell you know, confirming why she is the world number one, why she is now on a 35-match win streak. Uh, this was, you know, pretty straightforward. 6-1, 6-3 against Coco Goff, who was in her, you know, her first Grand Slam singles final, much like Casper Ruud was. Um, you know, Goff, obviously nervous to begin with. That's understandable. Wasn't really able to play her game. Um, you know, picked it up a bit in that second set, but it was just... You know the the gulf between them. I think was was pretty telling. Um, the the confidence that Shviontek had, the the assurance in her game, and her, the dominance, quite frankly, that she has, especially in finals, um, just coming to the fore, much like you know everyone's predictions. Yeah, I mean, Coco Goff hit way too many errors in in the final. I think she hit nineteen alone uh, from her four hands. She also was only winning forty six percent of first serves in. So she wasn't starting her service games particularly well. And then from the the baseline, she was hitting just a few too many ground stroke errors. And uh, you, don't, you just can't give Shriotek that opportunity with the, you know, the mood she's in at the moment, moving on to 35 wins in her streak. I think you know, for me, what was interesting going into this was, yes, we talk about the streak and you know how great that has been and, you know, I think it's been interesting in the sense that she's won these titles, but it's not really kind of, I think, created as much and caused much of a stir, I think, as, you know, say another you know, player would have done it, like, a, you know, Serena Williams, for example. And I do think she needed a Grand Slam to almost make this streak credible or, or kind of cement it's like, wow, this is really amazing. And from that kind of point of view, I'm I'm glad she won because you know, she's been playing the the best tennis uh, whenever she's been in the the draw uh, for a tournament. And uh, you know, this week, apart from you know a few a few blips here and there, again, she's been the the real dominant force. And in in finals, she was you know she's been absolutely amazing. I think she's on average, Kim, only dropped four point seven games in her ten. WTA level finals it just shows you how formidable she is particularly at the business end of of tournaments and um, you know she's keeping the you know she's keeping the streak going and and Coco Goff sadly I think for Coco Goff that the the lasting image we will have from from her is you know the end of the match when she went back to her you know she went back to her chair and you know she was she was sadly crying on court Um, you know she should she shouldn't be she you know got to a final and and you know, it was her first Grand Slam final. And I know she was kind of, I think, a little bit overawed by the occasion. But, you know, she's certainly a real talent, someone to watch for the future. And, you know, you've got to remember, Coco Goff is still a teenager as well. So she's going to have lots of more opportunities in the future. But, you know, today, sorry, yesterday even, Sviontek was just just on another level and Coco Goff couldn't live with it. Yeah, similar to Casper Ruud, we expect that Coco Goff will potentially be in more slam finals I think certainly in her case she, she mm. will be um, she's younger than rude and a bit more hyped um, so certainly she shouldn't be again like feeling hopefully too disheartened um, by the fact that she wasn't really made, able to make too much of an impact um, 
I'm sure hopefully she'll get this situation again. But I think she would certainly have been hoping that it would have been closer. But she's certainly, again, like Rude, one of many players who've gone up against Fiontech, especially in finals, not come away with an awful lot. And I feel like we're a bit of a broken record in the sense that we're going on about how dominant Fiontech is in finals. But she really is. I think since, yeah, like 2000, uh, she's the player with the lowest games lost ratio in finals, you know, in the last 22 years. And this win streak that she now has of 35, I think, equals uh, the Venus Williams uh, win streak from from 2000 as well. So, like, you know, I mean, I don't know. She's going to take a few weeks off, I think, uh, before like Wimbledon. I think she absolutely deserves that. I think she needs it. You know, she's saying how intense it has been, the clay season and, and also the, the Sunshine Double that she won. Like she needs some time to just kind of like close the door on this sort of part of the season uh, before Wimbledon. So that's kind of her next step. But yeah, an absolute force to be reckoned with. And, um, you know, since Ash Barty's retired, all of a sudden, Iga Svontek has has really been there to take over Barty's mantle. I don't think Barty's, I mean, I don't know what Barty's up to, probably playing every other sport under the sun, but... I wonder if she'll be thinking, oh, you know, maybe that could have been me. But Ega's taken that opportunity completely and made it hers. It's almost like the the, the transition from Barty to Sviontek as, as number one mm. was so seamless, it felt like. Yeah. You know, we've, had, yeah. it, it, we've had another player just come in all, you know, tailor-made, ready, uh, you know, for the, you know, for that uh, position and really kind of relished it in, in Igor Fiontek. And again, a lot of people will look at this and say, you know, her streak is down to the fact that a lot of the other players are not performing at the moment. And to an extent, I do agree. You know, we saw in this tournament that, you know, the WTA top 10 just falling like flies in the in the early rounds. And it's only really Fiontek just, you know, not having any trouble kind of going through. And I do I do sort of agree with that when it comes to you know looking at her streak but at the same time you know she's still got to go out there and and do the business and um you know make the the most of your your players you know weaknesses and struggles at the moment and as I say she's really kind of capitalizing on that and other players are too as I said Coco Goff Trevisan Pegula all kind of I think big game players uh, at Grand Slams they've shown that before and that's why I think they're getting to the the latter end because more heralded players who are doing well in the tour season, for whatever reason it is, they've really kind of struggled, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the majors. And in this tournament, Shiontek was the one who was like, if I just keep going, the players I'm going to come up against, I should be there and I should be able to kind of back myself. And um, throughout this tournament, apart from the match against Zheng and, and arguably a little bit against Kovinic when you know she should have served it out a lot easier in that in that second set she's handled every situation she's handled everything that's been thrown at her with with consummate ease and you do wonder like where is this where is this streak going how long can it go on for because we are moving from clay into grass you know Shiontek's record at Wimbledon her best result was last year where she reached round four so I think it's it's interesting she spoke about the streak and the fact that she's not really going to think about it now going on to the onto the grass. Obviously, it's still there. And I, I have no doubt the press would report it as Shiontek's streak stops You know when she does lose her next match, whenever that may be. But certainly on clay at the moment, she is just head and shoulders above everyone else. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it is funny how seamless that transition has gone from Barty to Shriontek. You know, there's definitely not been a void of like a million different players being world number one and, you know, everyone under the sun having their opportunities. And I, I hope Shriontek's reign continues for a while. I'm, I'm actually loving having her at the top of the game. I think she's an absolutely like wonderful person. She's super nice, very down to earth. And I think she's just very level headed as well. Um, you know, there's not like the same sort of hype around her, you know, much to kind of, well, her, I want to say like compared to like the likes of Emma Raducanu, who was signed, you know, a million sponsorship deals going. Iga Shvontek doesn't seem to have all that kind of fuss and hype, which I think actually means she can just get on and play tennis. So it's probably to her advantage. Um, not that I think there shouldn't be hype around her. Like I think obviously why are, why don't brands want to work with her? Why isn't she? I mean, she does obviously have lots of deals going on, but she's not kind of the same level of, uh, you know, as like the Asakas and the, even the, yeah, the Radicanos of the world. Um, that's a whole other kettle of fish, but I think Iga's doing what she does best on the court. And uh, yeah, I hope she's, she's, yeah, hopefully we'll be talking about her at the top for a long time to come. She's reached the fourth round at Wimbledon and the US Open last season. So Let's hope she can, you know, um, continue her good form on on the grass and and beyond. I think it'd be fantastic if she was able to do um, a Roland Garros Wimbledon double. Even if she went out in round one of like the next six tournaments, she's still going to be world number one. I think I read uh, yesterday that she's got more. She's got the combined number of ranking points of players ranked two and three, given her level of of dominance and the point accumulation that has happened over the you know this first half of the season so I don't think yeah she's absolutely not going anywhere I think the question is whether she can keep this this level up as she goes onto the grass because I do think you know with regards to the clay it, it, it very much suits her game in terms of you know she's got great footwork she moves around the court she's got that very kind of versatile approach that that really kind of suits her when she comes up I think against opponents who may have a more aggressive ball striking big ball striking sort of power based game however I think going onto the grass which I think could be quite interesting is that will feel like a more natural environment for those big shot players like Sabalenka or Azarenka and maybe that will offer a different challenge that for Sviantec whose game isn't necessarily based on that it might be a bit more of a a challenge. It might need a bit of a a reappraisal in terms of yes, I know how to beat these players on a clay court, but actually moving on to the grass, it might be a completely different kettle of fish. And uh, I think that's kind of what the the you know the interesting the interesting kind of thing with Shuntekism is at the moment because you know her two Grand Sam titles have both been at the French Open, and that's great. But we want to see if you can do it on hard courts or or grass courts and there are, I think are more kind of players who I think are in that sort of level of I could you know win Wimbledon than I think you know we've seen I think who could have won the French Open. Yeah I mean at Wimbledon there won't be the likes of Sabalenka or Azarenka. That is very true. So <laughs> some of the power players are out anyway yeah it's going to be a whole like it's going to be weird isn't it if certain players just not there. So, um, yeah, well, that's that's for another day to talk about, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, fantastic victory. Um, she's, you know, I mean, 
she was the odds on favourite and that's that's what ended up happening, Joel. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of our collector set, let's quickly cover that because uh, obviously collector set, we had three picks for the women, three picks for the men. Uh, who was going to do what? We asked everyone to predict. And like I mentioned a few episodes ago, we had a three-way tie between myself, uh, Leo Loves Tennis, and also Phil McAllister. Um, so we asked, uh, well, we asked myself, you asked myself, and uh, Leo and Phil to name um, how many games the losing finalists in today's men's final would win, uh, which as a tiebreak question. And the closest person to that uh, final amount of what, six games in the end, Casper Reed won. Um, that was Leo. So Leo is our winner of Collector Set for Roland Garros 2022. So at Leo Loves Tennis, thank you for playing and taking part. And we'll uh, get in contact with you about your special passing shot prize, uh, which will be on its way to you soon. But thank you to everyone for taking part and playing for another rendition of Collector Set. Um, I came close, still haven't won it, but... <laughs> <laughs> Fair play to Leo. Leo was a lot more on point with the, the guess. Uh, mm. I think I had the losing finalist with a lot more. It was a, a really low score collector <laughs> set, wasn't it? Really, really yeah, low score. Yeah, yeah. Not many people got many right this, this time around. So <laughs> we'll have to, uh, yeah, jazz it up a bit for, for Wimbledon and see see if we can get everyone slightly uh, higher scoring <laughs> but we do have some other results from Roland Garros to round up from the weekend uh, talking about Coco Goff obviously she was in the singles final lost she was also in the doubles final and I was saying the other day about how it'd be nice if she was able to get you know one title uh, from both of those finals but unfortunately she wasn't able to do that because Caroline Garcia whoop whoop and Kiki Mladenovic, they won the women's doubles. Uh, three sets, it was 2-6-6-3-6-2. So delightful for the home fans. Uh, Garcia Mladenovic winning this title for the second time. They won it together back in 2016 before they kind of, you know, stopped playing together. Um, and yeah, second team title. Mladenovic has won this title with Babosh. So this is her fourth women's title here. So yeah, brilliant stuff. I'm hoping this will mean a rejuvenation for Caroline Garcia's singles career as well. I feel like she just needed that kind of boost. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think certainly Mladenovic. I'm seeing now more as a double specialist. I mean, her. I think record now. I think she's won six ladies doubles titles and a few mixed doubles titles as well. So her her mix her doubles career has been absolutely fantastic. I feel like less said about her singles career, the better. But both those players, um, you know, they're 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 great on a, on a doubles court and you know it's unfortunate I think for Coco Goff you know the fact that she was able to get to both the singles and doubles finals but came out runner-up in both uh, not you know not the position you want to be in but again I think she'll take great heart from the fact that she's just been playing great tennis regardless of, of what what court she's been you know turning up on over the last couple of weeks and be great momentum I think for her going through to um you know the grass court season another surface i think she you know plays very very well on so um yeah unfortunate for her but um yeah congratulations to garcia mladenovic yep and in the men's doubles we had uh marcelo arovalo and jean julien roger uh beating dodig and krychek uh six seven seven six six three in the final Dodig and Krychek had championship points in that second set. Uh, couldn't convert any of them, so they'll be a bit gutted uh, to have lost it in the end. But yeah, Roger going strong at 40 years old. Oldest Grand Slam men's doubles champion uh, in the Open era. And Arivalo, 
is the first man from Central yeah. America to win a Grand Slam title, which is yeah, crazy. El Salvador, putting El Salvador mm. on the map. So yeah, great stuff for them. They were the 12 seeds. Uh, the others were not seeded. Um, so yeah, great, great victory to come and save those championship points and and come through in the end. So uh, I, I don't know if they've actually played together much before. Um, I'm a bit ignorant. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, great, great partnership and mixed doubles, uh, which was actually played on like the Thursday morning, uh, which I, you know, it was easy to kind of bypass this one, unfortunately. I don't know why they play it so early. It's ridiculous. Um, Shibahara and Wes Kulhoff won the mixed doubles. Uh, they were the second seeds beating uh, Akery of, Nor- of Norway. So another Norwegian in the Grand Slam final there and Vliegen of Belgium, 7-6-6-2. Um, so yeah, some good, good results coming in from the doubles. Um, I guess other notable results. We had a, a double, double victory for a junior from the Czech Republic, uh, Lucy Havlitchkova, uh, if I'm saying that correctly. She won the girls' singles and doubles uh, yesterday. Uh, so she's the first person I think to have done that since Agnes Javai. That's a name from the past, isn't it? Wasn't she um, Hungarian, Agnes? Agnes Chavay, Chavay. Yeah, she did the double back in 2005. So, uh, yeah, good good for the future of, of Czech tennis. I mean, they've got so many players, haven't they? Such, <laughs> such depth in their squad. <laughs> um, and we had a French boys champion, De Bru, uh, come, win, winning against a Belgian in uh, straight sets. De Bru beating Bailey. And I think we had a Lithuanian and a Croatian victory in the boys doubles. Butvilas and Polchak beating, oh, this is testing my flag knowledge, Joel. Yeah, that is big time flag I don't knowledge. know, Peru? Peru? Yeah. <laughs> they Peruvian maybe? <laughs> but yeah, that was a drumming in the boys final. But Kim, obviously some other big results that happened in the wheelchair tennis. D-Day de Groot, another favourite on the passing shot, won in the final against Kimiji 6-4-6-1 in the singles and also teamed up in the doubles with my favourite my favorite all-time doubles pairing, just on name pronunciation alone, De Groot and Van Koot winning in a championship tiebreak 10-8 against Kimiji and Montagne of South Africa. So, uh, yeah, I feel like they always win because I know it's because they're always great, but um, they always win. And also really nice for Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed as well top seeds also winning their wheelchair doubles final I feel like they're also on a massive role i think they've won their last 10 10 grand slam finals i think in doubles so uh yeah really impressed from them as well yeah ridiculous achievement so mm. good um shingo kuneda won the wheelchair singles uh over fernandez seven five in the third and then we had Nils Vink from the Netherlands winning the quad singles final. Uh, he's only 19, pretty young, and he teamed up with Sam Schroeder to win the quad doubles as well. Uh, 6-2, 6-2 over Davidson and Silver. That's a Australian-Brazilian pairing. Uh, so, yeah, all all good stuff. Great champions. Um, lots of dominance as well in, in those events. Uh, yeah, like with the likes of DeGroote and Van Coot and Hewitt and Reed, top seeds coming through there. Um, but yeah, fantastic two weeks, I think. The clay season is over, Joel. Uh, grass court season is already underway because we've had Jordan Thompson winning the uh, Challenger in Surbiton and Alison Van Utvank winning the ITF women's event there as well. Uh, unfortunately, Andy Murray lost to Dennis Kudler in the semifinals, but you know, Fairly decent week, bit frustrating. He wasn't able to um, 
to to make it a victory in in Serbton. But he's playing Stuttgart. Uh, Emma Raducanu's in Nottingham this week, so some Brits in action on the grass. Um, let's just have a quick look at those draws. Uh, yeah, Nottingham, Sakari, top seed. Uh, Raducanu's second seed. Tough opener, though, against Golubic, who I think you were saying uh, earlier. Quarter she made finals. quarters at Wimbledon last year. Yeah, so that's not easy. Yeah, she's, she's not in a... I was looking at this draw. Her half is quite challenging, I think. She's got Alison Risk, who I you know loves a, a grass court. Tom Janovic as well, uh, who she'll know from <laughs> Wimbledon last year. And Camilla Georgie also in that bottom half. Uh, so I certainly think she's got a tough half. Uh, to come through. Great to see her taking a wild card and getting on the grass as, as soon as possible after the French Open. But um, yeah, quite challenging. Could face Heather Watson in round two in an all-British clash, but um, we'll have to see how that goes. We also have a women's event at Sohotogan Bosch. Arena Sabalenka is the top seed. Belinda Bencic is there as the second seed. You've got Elise Mertens, Van Utvank also there, Yastremska, Samsonova, Alexandrova. I mean, Daria Savile could be quite an interesting one. She's been playing some very good tennis, I feel like, over the last uh, you know, few months. But yeah, this is part of that mixed, uh, sorry, the combined event. There is also an ATP 250 at Sir Bosch as well. Medvedev is the top seed. Felix Ojeda-Aliassime is the second seed. Dumanor, Taylor Fritz quite an interesting group i mean medvedev on the grass yeah hopefully he'll yeah kind of continue on doesn't feel like there's been too much of a hangover from having surgery uh you know he's playing some very decent tennis at the french open so um yeah he'll be looking to get back i think to winning ways on a surface that he's more in love with i think than the, the clay courts yeah it's a bit weird for the likes of medvedev because they know they can't play wimbledon so mm. obviously they are playing these tournaments for the sake of playing these tournaments but usually with the the warm-up events for grass it's building up to the slam you know you want to have these events not just to win them for their own sake but to get that practice for the the big one and that's not going to be a, a factor here for for russian and belarusians who are you know not able to play in the uk so obviously uh, in these overseas events but yeah it's just a kind of going to be interesting to see maybe from a motivation perspective or what have you um we've got the Stuttgart event as well where we said Andy Murray is uh playing we don't know who he's got in the first round yet I think it's a qualifier so uh but sits passes the top seed there Matteo Berrettini he's back uh second seed um obviously he's Wimbledon finalist last year so we Certainly, definitely, you would think uh, in good form on the grass again this year, hopefully. And I, I see Felic- Feliciano yeah. Lopez has got a wild card, Kim. <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> I- <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he is a grass court genius. I hope he's going to be at Queen's uh, the week after. I'd be mm. gutted if he wasn't. So, uh, but yeah, we'll uh, be back next week to round up these uh, first weeks of, uh, you know, ATP WTA events uh, on the grass. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this final round by round of the French Open with the passing shot. We do have a couple of updates for our listeners. Uh, We are we've got a big announcement coming out next Tuesday. Uh, We alluded to some big plans in relation to the future of the passing shot a few weeks ago on social media. We will be unveiling that on Tuesday. There'll be a short announcement going out as well as on our social media channels as well. So make sure you look out for that. And we've also got, excitingly, a book club episode from our book club series. We're going to be talking to 
John Lloyd, the former British number one Grand Slam finalist. He has a new autobiography coming out called Dear John. We're going to be chatting to him tomorrow night and going to be releasing that episode next week. So look out for that one as well before, as Kim said, we're going to be getting back into tour catch-up mode, looking ahead to the grass court season as we get to Wimbledon in this crazy quick stretch. I think there's, Kim, only three weeks until Wimbledon starts. So, uh, we're uh yeah it's on a, we're on a mad dash now aren't we between the the clay and the the grass yeah it's all all hands on deck it's the the peak time of the season i think you know <laughs> this two slams so close together and tennis in the uk so it's always feels more manic than potentially it actually is but um yeah let's let's round off then with a yeah a final goodbye from our Roland Garros uh, catch ups uh, i'm a happy bunny rafa's won uh, so jolly good <laughs> and we look forward to the grass whatever that may bring us Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our coverage of the French Open, our round by rounds. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on the grass court season coming ahead on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And don't forget to send us all your feedback, queries and comments uh, via those channels. You can also email us PassingShotPod at gmail.com if you prefer to get in touch that way. And don't forget to check out our website www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HQ. So I hope you can join us for our next episode. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.